from the deep dark recesses and obscure faraway area of extended session. We have one of our deacons to come share with us a testimony about giving. Mike Malden, would you come and share with us today your thoughts on giving in the Act 22 project? It's always a privilege and honor to stand before uh, my loving church family. Have you ever asked yourself why God has blessed you like he has? I want to be clear. I'm not just talking about our families, our homes, our vehicles, or other material possessions, though these are all blessings from God. I'm talking about having the ability to work or the blessing of hope and confidence in the future, even during very difficult times. For my family, blessings include renewed health for me after having surgery for malignant melanoma skin cancer and lymph nodes removed. For my wife Peggy, it was a blessing of regaining her ability to walk after having a tumor in her spinal cavity removed, which had temporarily paralyzed her from the waist down. The doctors informed her that she would never be able to walk again without assistance from leg braces or some other equipment. I don't know exactly why God has blessed us like he has, but I do know that all blessings in life are from God. Romans 4, 7, and 8 say, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. I know we at Beach Haven are all blessed because God loves us and, God, and Jesus took our sins to the cross. My heart's desire is for our community to receive the same blessings but they first have to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I believe the Act 22 project is one way that God is guiding us and going to bless Beach Haven to help us reach the folks in Athens that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe this project is in his timing and will better prepare our church to be a welcoming and secure facility. For my family, I know we owe everything to our Heavenly Father. We have prayed and we've discussed how we can be completely obedient and fully supportive of the Act 22 project. We plan to continue to regularly tithe to ensure that the ministries of the church continue and reach the community. But we also will fully support the Act 22 project by making a one-time gift and a three-year pledge. I hope the commitments of our church family far exceed the Act 22 project cost and that God is just positioning us for greater work for his kingdom. I'm excited to get started on the project, but I'm even more excited to see what God will do through the Act 22 project. Thank you very much. Mike and his family are not only giving of their resources, but their time. Pray for him. He's going back to the most difficult assignment in the church, and that is extended session with preschoolers. <laughs> and that's how he is serving and continues to serve. Let me invite your attention to Exodus chapter 36. Exodus chapter 36. I have read recently of Adoniram Judson's letter to Anne Hesseltine's father asking for her hand in marriage and clarifying 
what it would mean for her. Adoniram Judson, the first American missionary, on his way over to India, studied the Greek New Testament on board a ship and was convinced baptism by immersion was the biblical approach. He already knew the Lord, of course, but he followed Christ in baptism once he got to India, being baptized by the Baptist missionary, William Carey. But he uh, wanted to marry before leaving. He asked Anne Hesseltine for her hand in marriage, but first approached her father. And in that letter to his father, describing what she would face as a missionary in India, he wrote this, May I marry her, though you will see her no more in this world. Can you consent to her marriage to me, though it means hardships and sufferings of missionary life, exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of lack and distress, to degradation, to insult, persecution, and perhaps violent death. The father said, yes, I can bless that marriage. They married in 1812 and two weeks later departed for India. While there, she miscarried her first child. She gave birth to a son and eight months later, he died. Gave birth to a daughter and six months later, she died as well. And Anne Hesseltine lived only 14 years passing away in 1826 at the age of 36. Her father said yes, dedicated her to the mission field. The Christian faith is a giving faith. The woman who anointed Jesus for burial in Matthew 26 brought very expensive perfume that could have fed an awful lot of poor people and poured it all over the feet of Jesus. The Philippian church in Philippians 4 gave more than what Paul needed for his missionary service, though they themselves were very poor as well. 2 Corinthians 9.15 talks about, of course, the highest, holiest, most exalted, and sublime gift of all, and that is the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank God for His indescribable gift, Paul shouts in 2 Corinthians 9.15. It is impossible to be a Christian, a faithful Christian. It is impossible to be Christ-like, without a generous giving spirit. And there's another episode of giving in Exodus chapter 36. Here Israel gives to build a tabernacle for the dwelling and the worship of God. I want us to look at a couple of things here with it. One is the meaning of the tabernacle. And it's got a meaning for the past, their present, and their future. In the meaning of the past, the tabernacle was to be something of a reconstruction of the Garden of Eden. There in the garden, God dwelled with Adam and Eve, and he wanted a way after sin entered the world to dwell with his people, so he constructed something of a tent-like garden where they could offer sacrifices of blood, not necessary in Eden, but now after sin it is, to where they, God could dwell with them and walk with them. The tabernacle then ends up being much like a garden where God meets with sinners. If you read in Genesis 2.11, you'll find that there in the garden is an abundance of gold and onyx stone. The same is true with the tabernacle in Exodus 25.7. Also, Adam and Eve were to tend and to till and to guard the garden. These same terms, in Genesis 2.15 that is, these same terms are used in Numbers 3, 7, and 8 for what the priest would do 
with the tabernacle. And so in the tabernacle, God recreates a garden-like existence where man can approach God. So it's got meaning for their past. It also had meaning for Israel's present there. There they were to sacrifice for their sins. Someone had to be executed, but in God's court system, he allows an exchange and a substitution. And there God allowed, on a temporary basis, animals to be sacrificed and their blood to be spilled for the sins of the world. Leviticus 16 makes this clear. And this prefigures Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews elaborates this on Hebrews chapter 9, verses 2 through 11. So the tabernacle prefigures what Jesus Christ would do on the cross, and that's why it's so vitally important. But then it's got meaning for the future. It previews several significant elements to the Christian life and life in Christ. It it would preview the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. The tabernacle was portable. Israel was a wandering people. They had to have a portable place where God dwelt with them and forgave their sin and where they worshiped him. When the temple came, it became stationary because they had stability in life and they could begin to build a kingdom. And there was only one place where God would accept sacrifice and dwelling with this people. And that was in the, t- uh, the tabernacle, later the temple. And in the same way, there is only one way to God and that's through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. So it previews the temple. It also previews Jesus Christ when he came to earth. God would come in the tabernacle and the temple and dwell with his people. God came in the tabernacle or temple of the body of Jesus and dwelt with the people. John chapter 1 verse 14 even says so. The Word, referring to the Son of God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is translated in other places, tabernacled. It's used in the Greek Old Testament to describe the tabernacle. The Word, Jesus Christ, became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus Christ was something like a tabernacle himself where sin would be paid for and men and women could dwell and commune in fellowship with God. And then it previews the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. There Paul says collectively... The people together as a church family are a dwelling place of God. And that's why we're very careful how we treat one another, how we deal with the ministry of the church. We're not reckless or careless because if we are, we end up insulting, offending, wounding, and injuring the very tabernacle of Almighty God, His own people. And then it previews also the physical body of the Christian. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Therefore, you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. God, after the salvation experience in Christ, comes to dwell in the very being of those who know Jesus Christ and their bodies become like a tabernacle or a temple. And that's why we're careful with the human body. And just like the tabernacle, we are portable tabernacles throughout the world, which is the tremendous advantage of Christ ascending to heaven and sending the Holy Spirit. And then it previews the new heaven and the new earth. There is coming a great day, and I've got good news. That which breaks your heart and creates sorrow all over the human race and all over the earth will one day be eliminated by God, and everything that brings rapturous joy to God and to his people will be established and made permanent. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse number 3, says so. After John sees a new heaven and a new earth descend from heaven, 
In fact, it's so beautiful, it not only looks like a tabernacle, it looks like a bride that's prepared for a marriage to her husband. And it says in verse 3, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall tabernacle with them. He shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. Imagine it, church. The former things have passed away. And he who sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. But, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All that offends the purity of Jesus Christ, that dents his sensitivities, all that dishonors him will be eliminated and no one will ever have to weep over those things again. No one will ever suffer pain again in that new heaven and new earth. Well, the tabernacle was such a place. Those kinds of things that were impure and offended, the holiness of God were eliminated and only righteousness by the blood was admitted entrance and given entrance to this. That's what the tabernacle means. But let's look at the making of the tabernacle. It was made first with abundant materials. Exodus 38, a couple of chapters later, in verses 24 through 31, talk about the gold and the silver and the bronze that were brought by these former slaves to build the tabernacle. They are referred to as talents and shekels of gold, silver, and bronze. Translated into American weights, that's at least 2,200 pounds of gold. More than 15,000 pounds of silver. More than 5,000 pounds of bronze. There are large quantities of the best materials because God provides large quantities of His best presence to His people. And the gold, silver, and bronze in abundant measure demonstrate that. Then it's made with abundant gifts, and that's our text this morning in Exodus chapter 36. Beginning in verse 1. And Bezalel and Aholiab, and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding, to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and to do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment. And they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, Let neither man nor woman, 
do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary, and the people were restrained from bringing. For the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed, too much. Have you ever heard of such a thing? The people were so thrilled to give their silver and their gold and their bronze that they brought too much and they had to say, we've got too much. Stop giving. Oh, I dream of a day when that is true in every church. And I think we need to start with this one, don't you? Well, a few of us do. In any case, they brought much more than enough. God's work deserves the best support. Why is that? Well, there are a few reasons that I derive from the text. One, His work deserves the best support because God provides an abundance of presence. He provides an abundance of presence. All throughout the Scripture, God relentlessly pursues fellowship and a walk with the human race. Despite the grotesque offense, we throw up before God with our sin of commission with our actions, omission with our disobedience, and disposition with all the innards that are within us. God relentlessly pursues a walk with His people, and He's always provided an opportunity for His people to walk with Him. It was in the beginning in the garden. And then altars with the patriarchs, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And then with the children of Israel in their wanderings with this tabernacle. And then more permanently uh, and more resolutely with the temple. And then Jesus Christ came and in Him, He was the Son of God tabernacled in human flesh. And then after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit began to live in all believers and walk with them in divine power, in help, and in comfort. And one day he's coming to dwell permanently among his people and he shall span, his presence shall span all over the globe with all of his people. God is always pursuing a walk with his people. There is coming a day when he shall dwell with ceaseless cascades and torrents of divine presence and his followers will no longer have the unfulfilled, unsatisfied desire to be with him. It shall be thoroughly quenched and he shall be all in all. That kind of presence deserves our very best offering and gift. So that's the first reason. His work deserves our best support, abundant support. But there's a second also because God provides an abundance of preparation. Now, you may be asking, as I did one time, about this text, how in the world did a nation and a people enslaved for 400 years find more than 5,000 pounds of gold and bronze and 15,000 pounds of silver? How in the world did they ever come up with that? They were slaves. They were brick makers and were not, as best I could tell, permitted to keep the bricks. Well, when God led Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus, you'll find that the Egyptians did something because of God's work in them in Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 35. You might want to look there with me. Exodus chapter 12, verse number 35. Right before they departed from Egypt, there's something remarkable that happened here. Verse 35 of Exodus 12. Now the children of Israel 
had done according to the word of Moses. And they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted what they requested. Thus they were they plundered the Egyptians. God put something in the heart and mind, a great measure of generosity in the Egyptians. And they just gave up all their gold, silver, and bronze to the Israelites for the asking. And here they bring all of this, they bring what they have to build the sanctuary. It reminds me of J.D. Gray, the pastor of First Baptist New Orleans for, I think, nearly 40 years. They were in a building program in New Orleans at First Baptist Church there, and a gambler gave First Baptist Church a million dollars for the building program. And J.D. Gray in First Baptist New Orleans took it. They accepted it. They didn't reject it because it was tainted in how it was earned. And J.D. Gray and the church were criticized. And J.D. Gray finally responded and said, Well, the devil has had use of that money long enough. It's time for the Lord to get use of it. And there is coming a day when the wealth of the nations and all kings and all Gentiles will come into the treasury of the king when Christ returns. And so God is able to do what is necessary to supply and provide for those who give. God's will, done in God's way, will never lack God's supply, said Hudson Taylor. God is able to come through every step of the way. So the first question you ask yourself is not, do I have enough to give? The first question you ask is, is my all, including my soul, given to Jesus Christ and he will work the rest out? Because God is perfectly prepared to take responsibility for the one who is completely given to him. When you give yourself to Him, He takes responsibility for your needs and He comes through and He meets them. Now, I do want to give a caveat here. I'm going to be a bit different than J.D. Gray, although this is entirely on the honor system. And that is this. If you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, we do not expect you to give to this project. In fact, I want to make a shocking recommendation to you, and that is if you don't know Him, keep your gift and spend it on earthly pleasures. If you are convinced you will never give your life to Christ, and you're going to not give your life to Christ, keep your gift, and spend it on earthly pleasures because what happens after the grave is no pleasure at all. And I want you to have all the pleasures you can in this life. They aren't much, they flee, they sprout wings, the proverb says, and they fly away. But I want you to at least have something because on the other side of the grave, without Christ, there is no pleasure. I want you to keep your gift if you're not going to give your life to Christ. God provides an abundant of preparation. I've got good news for you. He is prepared this morning, though, to pardon you. And that leads us to the third item. God deserves our best work. His work deserves our best support and abundant support because of an abundance of presence and preparation, but then an abundance of pardon. Now that Exodus 36 and the construction of the tabernacle ever happened is a remarkable thing. It's almost unbelievable if you know the book of Exodus. Because back in chapter 32, back in chapter 32, 
the people of Israel gave to build a golden calf. They made an image of God and they worshipped it. While Moses was up on the mount receiving the Ten Commandments. In fact, Aaron helped them. And they apostatized. They fell away from the faith. And God was determined to obliterate them, but Moses, Moses interceded for them and pleaded with God that he would forgive them. And so, God did. And in verse 7 of Exodus 36, they brought too much before. In fact, just as they had brought gold to build the golden calf, they are now bringing gold, silver, and bronze to build the sanctuary, the tabernacle. Because back in Exodus 34, God revealed himself as a gracious and forgiving God. One page back in verse 9, or excuse me, in Exodus chapter 34 and uh, verse, uh, verse 6, the Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. Because Moses prayed in verse 9, If now I found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin. Take us as your inheritance. And he said in verse 10, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation with Israel. The reason Israel was able to move forward after the incident and the heartbreaking reality of the golden calf is that God pardoned their sin and he gave them an abundance. Folks, a pardoned heart becomes a generous heart in Jesus Christ. That's what happens in the soul that meets Jesus. So whatever we give to God still never comes to approaching what he's given us in Jesus Christ. It reminds me of a man that was a bit careless with his paycheck and his money. And he happened to go to a carnival with his family and spent what he had very selfishly. He rode all the rides and aggravated his family because he didn't pay much attention to them. And he got on a carousel with his last bit of money. He got off and he was met by his wife. And she fussed at him. She said, look at you. You have spent all your money got off where you got on and haven't gone anywhere. Is that not what a carousel is at a carnival? You spend money to get off where you got on and you don't get to go anywhere unless the thing busts loose and run over a few people. I mean, otherwise, you're, st you're pretty well stationary and confined to the area where you are. And what we've just done is that we've described a lot of lives. God has given you a life that you make, might, might make progress in exalting Jesus Christ. Where are you with that? It is a gross and horrid sin not to exalt Jesus Christ and advance his mission in the world with the life that we have. But thank God, he's a God who forgives. And if you're humble today before him and willing to confess your need for him, and you're willing to trust only the death and resurrection of Christ and call on His name, God is ready and willing to forgive. And this morning, after our end gathering, we want to invite you to that. Folks, Israel gave much more than enough, and I want us to do that today as well. 
Let's start with the balcony. Those in the balcony, would you please make your way down to the outside aisles? As they're coming, let's start with these two sides here. Would you please quickly stand, make your way to the outside aisles, and loop around here back up the center aisle. 